are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. So what we've seen through this prayer is that it has stretched all the way from the beginning of our good father to now finishing with the evil one, the father of lies. It's in this prayer that it's right on the heels of the prayer to forgive us of our debts. We now are asking us to be delivered from the crushing temptations that we once needed forgiveness from. The tension that we live in as we await this this incoming kingdom of God's kingdom is this reality that the same sin that we have been forgiven from is the same sin that we are still tempted with. Listen to what John Stott says about this reality. He says, the sinner whose evil in the past has been forgiven longs to be delivered from its tyranny in the future. So what this final petition of this prayer will show us is that we aren't fundamentally good people. We are not fundamentally good people. We are redeemed people who still struggle with the weight of our own evil, who still struggle to turn away to the same temptation that led us astray from Christ before we came to Christ. We join in with the Apostle Paul as he's given his kind of autobiography in Romans chapter 7. Listen to what he says. Let me He's asking, does this make sense of your inner world right now? For I do not understand my own actions. Anybody there? Yes, me too. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. See, what Paul is describing here is this Jekyll and Hyde type reality for every single Christian that has ever breathed on this earth. We know that our old self has been buried with Christ in the grave. But we still struggle to keep putting on that new self in Christ, don't we? Back and forth between the old self, new self, old self, new self. What this passage from Paul tells us and what this prayer tells us is that our primary problem is not what is outside of us, but what is inside of us. 
This prayer reveals is not just our circumstances are the problem out there, but it's how we respond to those circumstances in here. This is what this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is showing us. But there's also good news. There's not just bad news in this prayer. There is good news in this prayer that what we are able to do on on our own, what we're unable to do on our own to deliver ourselves, God is able to do for us. In the same way that God provides for us what we cannot provide for ourselves, he will deliver us from that which we cannot deliver ourselves from. This prayer is essentially praying, deliver us from us. Deliver us from us. And we're going to see that main point from two vantage points. The first of which is our temptations. If you're taking notes, that's our first point. Our temptations. And the second vantage point is our tempters. Our tempters. So we're going to see our temptations and our tempters as we pray for God to deliver us from us. Y'all ready to dive in? Our temptations, first point. Let's read verse 13 again. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let's focus on the first part of that verse. Lead us not into temptation. Now, if you're familiar with the temptation of Jesus, you'll remember that Jesus, like us, was tempted. And this prayer should be a kind of a a reprise of a chorus within your ears. What What did Satan tempt Jesus with as he was fasting and hungering for food? Turn these stones into bread. And how does he respond? Man shall not live on bread alone. And what does he teach us to pray in this prayer? Give us this day our daily, what is it? Bread. In the temptations, Jesus was also offered all of the kingdoms. And in the prayer, he's teaching us to pray God's kingdom to come. In the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus told Satan, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now in this prayer, he's teaching us to pray, lead us not into temptation. So what have we been saying all along about this prayer is that before it is ever about us, it is first about Jesus. That Jesus has been tempted and tried in every way, but he was without sin. But I know for most of you, the immediate question that comes to mind when we pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation. We are, we ask the question, why would God lead us into temptation? I thought God doesn't tempt anyone. Is it God who tempts us? But to pray for God not to lead us into temptation doesn't mean that God is necessarily the one doing the temptation. Because what do we know from the whole of Scripture? We have the the Apostle James telling us this. He says, let no one, in the Greek that also means you, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
Why? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we know that God can't be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt us. It's outside of God's character. It's outside of his essence. It's outside of his holy nature. The key to understanding a text like this is to understand the the whole range of this Greek word, tempting, temptation, to tempt. In English, we have come to distinguish this word as two words, testing and tempting. But in the Greek, they understood it as one thing. God does test his people. God does test his people in order to refine them, to make them look more like him, to discipline them, and it's not for evil purposes. It's for our good. And this has been true even in the Old Testament. Look what we read from Deuteronomy 8. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. Look at those words. He's led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. Testing you, that's the same word there. Testing you to know what is, was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. So what God does, he, he tests us to prove our hearts. He tests us to produce steadfastness within us. And he didn't just do this for us, he did this to our King and our Savior, Jesus. If you look back just a few Chapters. Just flip back a few chapters in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Look at the, the interesting word order here and how it parallels to this prayer. Matthew 4, 1 reads, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so if we look closely at this, who led the Son of God? The Spirit of God. But who tempted the Son of God? The devil, the father of lies, the Satan, the evil one does the tempting. Jesus was led by God, but was tempted by Satan. And if we know Jesus' words that no servant is greater than its master, then we too will be led by the Spirit of God while also being tempted by Satan. This is not a juxtaposition. That in every reality that we face, every experience, is both a testing from God and a temptation from the devil. And the point of this prayer, it's not for avoidance of trials. It's not for avoidance of pain or hardships, but for protection to not be tempted. Because unlike Jesus, we are not sinless. Unlike Jesus, we are not without evil in our souls. And so God graces us with this prayer so that we aren't tempted beyond our own ability to be tempted with what we cannot bear on our own. You heard this passage read to you at the beginning of the service. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says... No, say it with me, temptation, can you say that? Temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. 
Meaning the temptation that you face, it's common. It's normal. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, what does he do? He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. So that it could produce steadfastness. So that it could produce Christ-likeness. Do you see what this prayer is? This prayer is the grace of God. This prayer is freedom from our sins. This prayer is the raft that God has given us in the stormy seas of temptation to escape and make our way to Jesus. This prayer is what he provides for us, that which we cannot provide for ourselves, an escape from temptation. But what is a temptation? What is temptation? Well, if testing is what God does for the purpose of strengthening our faith, Testing is what Satan does to undermine our faith. Testing is what God does to strengthen our faith. Satan tempts us in order to undermine our faith. This is what temptation is. And temptation is not something that you fall into. It's not something that you fall into as if you have no control over it. Like, like I have no control of this empty bowl of chocolate peanut butter ice cream that is sitting on my lap, wondering, how did that empty bowl of chocolate peanut butter ice cream get onto my lap? Like, it just fell there. Now, what happened? I saw the ice cream in the freezer. I took the ice cream from the freezer. I scooped and ate of the ice cream in the freezer, but I did not give it to anybody else. It was mine. This is what temptation is like. We see it. We desire it. We take it. And most often, we give it to somebody else and tempt them with it as well. The best way to learn about temptation is to look at the first act of temptation ever where Satan tempted and Eve entered in. In the garden, God commanded that the man nor the woman should eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan came along and tempted them. And this is what the woman did. So when the woman saw, Genesis 3, 6, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Do you see the process of temptation here? Eve saw the forbidden fruit. She desired the forbidden fruit. She took of it. She ate it. And then gave it to her husband. At no point in the story... Did Eve ever wonder, how did this piece of forbidden fruit fall into my hand? It's the same story for David. For David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he never said to Bathsheba, oh, Bathsheba, 
How'd you get into my bed? Where are your clothes? Now, what did he do? He saw Bathsheba, desired her, took her, laid with her, killed her husband, and then had her for his wife. Saw, desired, took, partook, and gave it to someone else. Temptation is not something we accidentally fall into. It's something you actively enter into. I want you to hear me. Temptation is not something you accidentally fall into as if you have no control over it. It's something you actively enter into. And Jesus here is giving us mercy. He's giving us grace. Notice when he tells us to pray. He doesn't tell us to pray after we've been tempted. He doesn't tell us to pray um, during the temptation. No, he tells us to pray before we've been tempted. Lead us not. This is before a temptation ever comes. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not, our Father. Is this the process that you take to deal with temptation? Do you pray for God to lead you not? Or are you just regularly surprised by what is common? (laughs) Yes, God has shown you grace. And he's forgiven you for all the times that you have entered into temptation. But he continues to show you grace by providing you this way out. Pray, lead us not into temptation. We ask for help to flee before the temptation ever is before us. Amen? These are our temptations that we pray against. But we also have to pray against our tempters. Look at that last verse again, verse 13. It says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here we see that God is not the tempter. He is the deliverer. Who then are the tempters? On the one hand, it's the old dragon. It's Satan. It is the devil. It's the one who tempted Eve in the garden, and she entered in. It's the one who tempted David, and he entered it. It's one who has tempted all of us, and we have entered in. And notice this prayer is to deliver us, not deliver me. It's to deliver us. This is a communal prayer. This is a a church-wide prayer. I mean, do we as a church recognize that any disunity that we have, any anger that we are facing towards one another, any backbiting, is not because we are waging war against flesh and blood. Do we recognize that we are waging war against the principality of darkness that wants to divide us? That is working against the very thing that Jesus prayed for in John 17, which is our unity. That we might be one even as the Father is one. 
And so when we pray, deliver us from evil, are we praying for our church to be delivered from the deceptive schemes and the lies that Satan regularly puts before us and into our hearts? I mean, what is tempting you right now to just give up on your brothers and sisters in this church? What is it? What is tempting you right now to say, I'm done with the church? I mean, fill in the blank. I'm willing to leave the church over blank before I leave fill in the blank for the sake of Christ and my brothers and sisters in Christ. What is the devil luring you with? Is it an ideology? Is it a political party? Is it your view on certain social structures or certain social practices? What is Satan tempting you with to say, I'm no longer one with the people that Jesus bled and died for? I'm no longer one with my family. What is it? That is what you need deliverance from. But it's not just deliverance from that one tempter we cannot see. It's also deliverance from the tempters that we can see. There's a second aspect, that, a second way that we get tempted in this world. Look what Jesus warns against later in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that when temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptation comes. Do you see who else can be the tempter? Me and you. We can tempt one another. We sometimes tempt others when we call that which is good evil. And when we call that which is evil good. And we invite others to participate in it. I wonder, have you ever prayed to deliver others from us? The evil of our own sin. Have you ever prayed to deliver me from the temptation to fall in the same type of sin that I am judgmentally judging others for? Hopefully what you're starting to see is that every turn we make in this world, we are facing a type of temptation. At every turn you make, you are facing some type of temptation. All experiences in life are either a test, are both, both a test from God and a temptation from Satan. How is this the case? Well, in this life, you will either experience pleasant experiences or painful ones, right? Or sometimes both. And in those pleasant experiences, you have the opportunity to, to either pass the test or enter into temptation. How so? When those pleasant experiences, 
You can either thank God for the good gifts that he's given you, or you can start worshiping the good gifts that he's given you and elevate that good thing, that good gift, into an ultimate thing. It's a test. Are you going to worship the gift and enter into temptation? Or are you going to praise the giver of that gift? And the same is true when we enter experiences of, of pain. When we enter in those experiences of pain, it's both a test and a temptation. Test from our Father, a temptation from the Father of lies. We will either trust God as we wait, as we walk through those painful experiences, or we will curse God, blaming him for our painful experiences. All experiences, all experiences are both a test and a temptation. You know, a few years ago, I got to talk with a member of our church who, who has cancer. And as I was chatting with her, I, I asked her, how, how is this pain that you are feeling, this, this weariness that you are feeling, affecting your faith in Jesus? And these are the, the words that, that she told me. She told me that she trusts that God will heal her or that God will heal her. Do you hear what she's saying? Do you hear what her pain is producing? What that test is producing? It's producing trust. Trust that God will either heal her in this life or God will heal her when she's resurrected in the new heavens and new earth. That even if this painful experience doesn't end in this life, it will one day end in the new heavens and new earth. But she also shared with me that the greatest evil that she faces isn't the physical cancer of her body, but the spiritual cancer of her soul and her heart that is her sin. That the greatest evil is not this cancer that was deteriorating her body, but the cancer of sin that can deteriorate her soul. See, what she was saying and what Scripture tells us is that evil isn't just what is outside of us, Satan and parts of society. Evil, even more so, is the sin within us. This prayer is a prayer to deliver us from us. And this is what James goes on to write in James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. He says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and when sin and sin, when it's fully grown, bring forth death. We pray this prayer because we pray that God has to be the one who delivers us from the evil within us, more than the evil that is outside of us. Praying this prayer is recognizing that the problem doesn't primarily lie out there, but the problem lies in here. Paul Tripp writes this. He says, prayer confronts us with a humbling reality that we're hooked by the evil outside of us 
because of the evil inside of us. We're hooked by the evil outside of us because of the evil inside of us. Do we see that every evil temptation we face is not a result of our circumstances. It's a result of our sinful desires. The problem isn't necessarily the people around you. The problem is what's inside of you. And Jesus was tempted just as you were. Russell Moore, he was, he was one of my professors back in seminary. He's wrote, written this book called Tempted and Tried. And in this book, he, he shows how Jesus' temptations are the same temptations that we face. That what Jesus faced in the desert is what we face today. The temptation to be fed by us rather than fathered by God. The temptation to be magnified in this life, rather to be crucified like our Savior. The temptation to be right. Anybody struggle with the temptation to always be right? Yes, me. The temptation to be right, rather to be rescued. You know, when Jesus was tempted to turn these stones into bread by Satan, what was his heart tempted with? To feed himself rather than to be fathered. Tempted to provide for himself. To provide for himself what only the Father could provide for him. To be tempted towards self preservation. Is this what we pray for deliverance from? Deliverance from overconsumption. Deliverance from self-provision. When Jesus was tempted with the kingdoms of this world, he was tempted with the comfort of a throne. The tempted to be magnified at the expense of others' suffering. The temptation to be magnified on a throne rather to be crucified for the sake of others. Is this the evil you are facing? To magnify your views. To magnify yourself. To magnify a political agenda. To magnify your comfort. To magnify your ease. To magnify you, you, you at the expense of others. Same temptation Jesus faced. We're tempted to be enthroned and to enthrone our comforts. We're tempted to enthrone our preferences at the expense of loving others. We're tempted to consider our interest more important than others rather than considering others' interests as important as ourselves. We're tempted to be right rather than righteous. This is what we face. 
You see, in a very real way, you have stopped praying this prayer, deliver us from evil, because you've stopped believing that the greatest evil you face is in here. And instead, you're just finger-pointing. that The greatest evil you face is out there. Or maybe it's worse. You've been tempted with the worst lie of all, that you can deliver you, that you can change you, that you can remake you, that you can get rid of the evil that's within you. You see, Satan would love to deceive you that you can change you. Sure, sure, you can have some behavior modification. You can do all the right things, but what is the point of the Sermon of the Mount? It's heart posture. It's not for behavior modifications, for heart transformation. Our society would love for you to believe that you can reform you. You can change you. You can build you. You can renew you. But what this prayer shows us is that we cannot deliver us from us. Only God can deliver us from us. You see, the most dangerous evil that you can believe is that it's the only evil is what can be seen. But the greatest evil that we face is not just our sin that could be seen, but the sin that is underneath our sin. That is the greatest evil. It's not just that we do things. It's why we choose to do things. See, focusing on our surface sin, focusing on our outward obedience, is treating Satan like a cute little kitten. Like a cute little kitten. Like the worst thing that kitten can do is just urinate all over thing, all over everything. It's the worst it can do. But the Bible tells us Satan is not a cute little kitten. He is a roaring lion, and he's crouching at the door, ready to seek and devour you. And what do we know about lions when they're ready to seek and devour? You can't see them. They're hidden in the thicket. They're hidden in the high grass. That is the greatest evil, that which is hidden in our heart. You see, the, the greatest sin isn't murdering somebody. What does Jesus said? say? You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the hell of fire. See, the greatest sin isn't just that you look at other people and objectify them and dehumanize them by watching porn. That is not the greatest evil. The greatest evil is that you are using them for your own pleasure at the expense of their lives. The greatest evil isn't that you just got into an argument with somebody and said hurtful things to somebody. The greatest evil is that you want to enthrone yourself. Enthrone yourself at the expense of them and ridding yourself of them. Most often, the greatest evil is what we cannot see. See, what was Satan offering Jesus 
when he was on the top of the pinnacle of the temple, the dwelling place of God? What was Satan telling to Jesus while he was being tempted? That if you throw yourself down from here, if you throw yourself down from here, the angels will save you. What was he tempting Jesus with? He was giving Jesus a way out from death. He was tempting Jesus with self-preservation. That if Jesus took Satan's road, he wouldn't have to take the road of Calvary. He'd be safe. He'd be away from hurt and harm. See, self-preservation, self-protection, self-provision, that which tempts us leads us to believe that we will be happy. But it's never the case, is it? It's because it's a demonic lie. It's a demonic lie that if we protect ourselves, provide for ourselves, preserve ourselves, we'll be happy and safe. But it is a demonic lie because who is happy and safe that is alone? That's what all these lead to. It's just loneliness. And what Jesus ultimately does, what undoes this evil, is the cross of Christ. That Jesus delivers us from this evil at the cross. Jesus refuses to seek his own self-protection. He refuses to seek his own self-preservation. He refuses to even provide for himself. He refuses to deliver himself. Instead, what does he do? He delivers himself over willingly to the cross. And he's not delivering himself from evil. He's willingly taking on evil on himself, our sin, our shame, so that you and I can be delivered from all types of evil. See, Jesus did not throw himself down from that temple for the same reason a faithful husband doesn't leave his burning home to go find a lawyer so he can sue the arsonist while his wife is burning alive inside. No, what does a faithful husband do? He sprints back into the burn building because he loves his wife as he loves himself, and he rescues his wife at the expense of his own life. He delivers his wife. He snatches her from the flames. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He did not seek to preserve his own life. He did not seek to protect his own life, but to protect us, preserve us, and deliver us from the evil that is inside for us. He came for the world. He came for the broken, the hurt, the wounded, those who are able to admit that there's worse evil in here than there is out there. And on that cross, where Adam and Eve refused to obey about a tree in the garden, Jesus now obeys about a tree from the garden. Not my will, your will. See, why didn't Jesus give into the temptation of Satan? It's because he saw and desired something better. To be forsaken. 
so that you could be forgiven. He saw us like Eve saw that forbidden fruit. He saw us like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on us. Instead of desiring to turn his own way for his own interests, unlike Eve, instead of desiring to love God and love others, Jesus decided to do that. And instead of taking the easy way out, like Eve, taking of the forbidden fruit, he decided to take evil on himself. And instead of tasting a forbidden fruit, Jesus tasted our evil. He tasted death in our place. Instead of giving himself life, he chose death so that he can give you life. He can give you his life. How do we know that we have life in Christ? It's because we have been buried with Christ, meaning all of our evil, all of our sin, all of our shame has been buried with Christ in the grave. And when he walked out of that tomb, he's declaring that evil no longer has a hold on me and evil no longer has a hold on those who call on me to deliver them from them. See, when we call on Christ to deliver us from us, he is faithful and just, not just to forgive us from our sin, but to give us the power to fight against sin. See, we as Christians, we do not fight for victory over evil. We as Christians, we fight from the victory in the empty tomb that our old self has been buried in the grave and now in Christ we get to walk in newness of life. And so as we go forward, when we pray for God to lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, we pray this. We pray I'm tempted to believe that I need to provide for myself. Help me to believe that you are the one who can provide for me what I cannot provide for me. We pray, I know I'm tempted to, to want to believe that I'm more right, but help me to be more righteous and rescue me from my self-righteousness and self-preservation. We pray that we're tempted to be magnified than live a crucified life after the way of our Savior. And so we pray, help me to sacrifice for others in the same way you have sacrificed for me. Lead me not into the temptation of magnifying myself, but instead help me to magnify Christ. This is what we pray. We pray that God delivers us from us because we cannot deliver ourselves. And we know that he can because if he has delivered us from the eternal evil, then he has the power to deliver us from our temporary temptations. Amen?